Thank you for saying that and responding back to me, Gary. You're the one person. That's okay. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you that not, I've not had a chance to meet, uh, my name's Kevin Harlan, and I serve on the pastoral staff here. It's actually been a few months since I've been here. I think it was in January sometime, wasn't it? It, uh, it was a snowy day. I remember that. Uh, there weren't many of you here, so I thought the introduction might be uh, good to, to go along with that. Uh, I uh, serve on the pastoral team, work across all of our campuses, uh, providing leadership and, and uh and working with our campus pastors. I guess in another way, you could, you could put it this way, I'm Gabe's boss. So if you want to just know who that is, maybe you're thinking one or two things here at this moment. I've always wondered who I should talk to. Uh, that could be one of the things that you, I'm the person. Or uh, maybe you're thinking, who, who, oh, he's the guy smart enough to hire Gabe and keep him around here, which that's what I hope you're thinking, right? Yeah. Well, just to be honest, it had really little to do with me. So I just want to go ahead and come come out on that one, uh, and, and a lot to do with God's providence and uh, God's goodness and his great grace gift of uh, Gabe and Allie to this community, to Christ's community specifically, and uh, I just, I guess, wanted to start today to say thank you to the two of them for uh, their leadership. So uh, I, we, the way we do this, I uh, end up traveling around campuses, and, and uh, Al and Judy, I think the last time I preached at Brookside were there, and uh, you're going to think today that I actually just get all the hard messages. So, uh, and that's not the way it works. We like pick these dates on the calendar and then it ends up with some text and I'm thinking, why did I pick that date? Uh, so, so here it is, uh, another one of those pleasant messages in the book of Hebrews, if you've been uh, around for a while. Um, I'm married. My wife Sharon and I, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary this year. And uh, thank you. Uh, hard to believe. Uh, that, not that we've made it, but uh, that it's been 30 years. Uh, time flies when you're having fun, right? Uh, and we got away just a couple of weeks ago, not last week, but the week before, uh, for a week of vacation to celebrate our 30th. Uh, and I don't know if any of you are like this, but for us, a good vacation involves a beach and a book, all right? That's, or books. I mean, that's really all it takes is if you can, there can be water and I guess it's sun there's other things in there as well, but those two things most importantly. Uh, and so we did that. We got away. Um, and one of the books that I read uh, on the vacation was the Divergent Trilogy. So I'm one of those people that I like to know if... Move, and see, see, I didn't know if I should admit it right here. Uh, as I was... Uh, I knew the movie was coming up, and I wanted to... Read the book. I'm one of those people, I don't like to go see the movie until I've read the book. So I, I got the book. Um, it totally hooked me. I enjoyed the read. But I must admit, there were several moments in there where I was really thankful that I had a Kindle uh, because I really didn't want anyone around me knowing that I was reading a dystopian uh, love story about a 16 year old girl. You know, that was, there were like moments like, should I be reading this? I'm not really sure. I'm 52. You know, it's like, should I keep reading this? Uh, and, and like I said, I, I'm not really sure I should have admitted it to you today. Um, it's funny, we were in our sermon planning uh, meeting on Monday, and as we were talking through the text, I just, and part of it, I'm, I'm just, you know, this book is fresh in my mind, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, this, I think there's some really good connection here, but I didn't want to admit it to them. <laughs> you know, it's like, I didn't ever actually publicly say it. So I'm trying it out with you. You might, I might have really lowered my, uh, your opinion of me in this moment. Um, 
But there were several moments in the book, I, don't, I won't ask you if you've read it, uh, there's several moments in the book where I was curious the worldview that the author, Veronica Roth, I just was curious of the worldview that she was coming from. Because um, it, it just seemed to me throughout the book that there were hints of a Christian worldview. And, you know, those tend to bug me uh, when I'm, I'm picking up those hints. And I, I'm usually skeptical, thinking, no, there's no way. This person's just, you know, marketing. I mean, I, that's what I'm kind of going in my head. And I'm thinking, but, man, it just keeps uh, sort of peeking out here. For example, here's a quote from one of the main characters uh, that I just, it stood out to me. The main character who's about to face death wrote, I suppose now that now would be the time to ask for forgiveness for all the things I've done but I'm sure my list would never be complete. I also don't believe that whatever comes after life depends on my correctly reciting a list of my transgressions. I don't believe that what comes after depends on anything I do at all. And it was like that moment, the first moment where I'm not only reading a dystopian love story about a 16-year-old girl, I'm highlighting it. And I'm thinking, okay, now this is wrong, this is weird, you know. So I dug in a bit more to find out about Veronica Roth. And um, if you can, I mean, you can Google and you can go to her website. And I I dug around in her website a little bit. And sure enough, she grew up in Chicago, which is where the book is set. Uh, She grew up in a Christian family and is a professing Christian. Um, I found this one blog post that she wrote. Um, She was talking about the danger of censorship in in writing and uh, censoring of books. And she was particularly concerned about Christians censoring because of the, um, the potential danger of losing the, the fallen part of our story. And in her blog post, she wrote this. She said, you can summarize Christian teaching in two parts, crucifixion and resurrection, brokenness and mending. And she says, my concern with many Christians is their refusal to acknowledge brokenness. It's all fine and good to walk around thinking, I've been saved, woo-hoo, but seriously, saved from What? And she says, sometimes I wonder if they even know or if it's too uncomfortable to think about. And she continued, she finished the blog post with this, I I try to think primarily of my own sin because it reminds me not to be self-righteous. My sin, mine. And this morning, as we come and open the book of Hebrews again, we encounter another warning in the book of Hebrews. Another moment where the text is going to scream at us, and I want you to know it's the text and not me, okay? It's going to scream at us this morning. And before we dig in, I think we have to ask this question, do we see, do you see the sin within? Let me just ask you this question. What's the worst sin that you can imagine anyone ever doing? Okay, don't speak it here. Just think about it in your head. Scariest, ugliest, wicked thing, most wickedest thing you could ever think of. So get something in your head. So here's my guess, is that the worst sin that you came up with isn't something you struggle with. Am I right? No, no, not a good time for show of hands, by the way. Now, granted, that's a little bit of a trick question, um, but here's a truth that I think we can't ignore. We have to face head on this morning, is that the worst sin or the scariest sin is the sin that we've become comfortable with. The worst sin, the scariest sin, is the sin that we've become comfortable with. It's that one thing in your life that you really just don't even care about anymore. I mean, you used to struggle with it maybe, 
but you gave up long ago. You've, you've justified it in your mind so many times over and over and over again that you no longer really even are sure or maybe don't even think that it's a sin anymore. If you're a Christian here this morning and there is sin in your life that you've just become okay with, you need to hear this again. That the scariest sin is the one that you're comfortable with. So if you have your Bible with you this morning and want to follow along, we're going to look in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. I know you're probably thinking, why would I want to follow along now? Uh, But if we're going to look in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 26. Now, you've probably heard this, but the... Just to remind us, this book of Hebrews, is thought that it was originally a sermon, a sermon given to a group of new Christians. Um, I guess in that time, everyone was a new Christian uh, from a Jewish background. Uh, and the, the sermon went viral in sort of a 2,000-year-old sort of way. Uh, it was copied and distributed among the churches. It became so popular and ended up in what we know as the Bible. And today when we come to this 10th chapter of verse 26, as I mentioned, we're coming to another warning. It's the fourth of five major warnings in the book of Hebrews. There's these moments throughout Hebrews where the preacher just, you know, it's like this big wake-up call moment. And we come to the fourth of those today, attempting to wake up his congregation from their sleepy faith. If you remember, we were warned about the danger of drifting. That was the first warning. We were warned about how sin lies to us and how we even actually sort of learn to like that lie that sin tells tells us. A third warning was that there are people who are faking the Christian faith and just playing the game to sort of um, pretend and are pretending at the faith. And if you look now in verse uh, 26, we see this fourth warning. And let me just say there's a reason we didn't read this before I walked up because just brace yourself, this could be painful. Um, Here's what the preacher says. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace, or could be translated, who has outraged the gracious spirit. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I told you so. And don't forget, these words were not preached to a group of serial murders or at a prison crusade. These words were preached to the church, to us. They were meant for us to hear them. You see, there's two ways to reject the gospel. There's the first kind that's easy to see from the outside through a person's blatant and spoken disbelief in the God who has come to rescue. But the preacher here in Hebrews 10 makes it clear that there is another way to reject the the gospel, and it's much more subtle. We become comfortable with our sin. And as we said, the scariest sin is the one that we're most comfortable with. 
So to help us understand this message that the preacher speaks today, let's break it down into two categories. We have the category of deliberate sin, and we're going to look at the category of deliberate faith. So let's start with the bad news, deliberate sin. Now, I don't want to give this message, and I'm pretty confident that you don't want to hear it, and now would be a good time to leave, even though we would all know it right now at this moment. Um, so that might not be, might kind of be awkward. Uh, but here at Christ Community, we have a commitment to preach God's word. And the fact that I told you this is the Hebrews preacher's words, not mine, is really an important thing. I'm just going to do my best to tell you what I think the preacher is meaning and intending and let God do his work in your heart. And I pray that we'll have soft hearts to hear what God would want to speak to us today. First, I believe that deliberate sin reveals a lack of faith. In other words, if you are going on in deliberate sin, it reveals a heart that rejects the gospel. Do you see it there in verse 26? For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, if you're like me, one of the things that first jumped out when I re- am reading this is this word deliberately. It caused me to wonder, now, what exactly did he mean by deliberately? I mean, we all love loopholes, don't we? I mean, we might, here's some things that are going through my mind. Well, all Christians keep on sinning, right? I mean, we won't be completely free of the brokenness in this world, right? Until, or our sinful tendencies until some future day. Right? This is what's going through my head. And I, and I, and I'm thinking you as well, often use this as a way to justify our sinfulness, to make us comfortable with repeated acts of sin. But unfortunately for us, there's not a loophole here in the word deliberately. If we deliberately keep on sinning, we've rejected the gospel. Now, what he's not talking about are those times where you mess up and feel bad about it. Uh, or even that sin that you continue to genuinely fight against and regularly find yourself on your knees crying out to God for forgiveness. I don't think that's what the preacher is talking about here. But he does want to make it very clear that we can become so comfortable with our sin that we just no longer care. And we know better. Do you see this here? that we know all about the gospel and we understand it in our heads, but keep on sinning and sort of shrug it off like, oh, God is a God of love. He'll forgive me. I think we come to these words in Hebrews 10 and we have to at least say, well, maybe not. So let me just pause for a moment and just ask you, what sin have you become comfortable with? What's your potential danger zone? Is it greed? Do you find yourself doing almost anything for more money or more financial security? April 15th is approaching quickly and do you just just want to fudge just a little bit? What about that unethical choice that you're faced with or maybe have made to land the client? And how are you doing in the area of generosity and 
giving to the church, to other organizations in our community? Or do you just sort of keep telling yourself, you know, once I'm financially stable, then I'll really be able to be generous? What about sexual lust? You sort of just keep telling yourself that you think you've got it under control. Or have you given up on living a sexually pure life because, I mean, everybody's doing it, right? I mean, that's... What about gossip? Do you just love passing on that latest news from some, about someone, even if you're not really completely sure if it's true? Maybe even have labeled it a prayer concern? Are you lazy? Are you neglecting the work that God has called you to? Are you neglecting the people that God has placed in your life and his call to be about the work of redemption in our community? Are you prideful? Are you working more than you should, trying to make a name for yourself, telling yourself repeatedly that it's just for a season, it'll get better? Are you judgmental? You tend to think that you're always right looking down at others. And what about anger? How are you doing in that area? Now, you might be thinking at this moment that, well, those are just small sins, right? I mean, most people struggle with those. And to that, I'd say yes. That's why this message is so disturbing. Because the scariest sin is the one that we just become comfortable with. Now, if you've been here for the last couple of months, you know that this preacher has made it very clear that the death and resurrection of Jesus has rendered any other type of sacrifice um, useless. There is no other path to forgiveness but the blood of Jesus. And now he wants us to know that a life filled with deliberate or sin that we've become comfortable with rejects not only the sacrifice that works, it rejects the only sacrifice. And therefore, it's not possible for forgiveness to happen. Do you see what he's saying here? That it's no longer, that sacrificial system is not even, there's no way that can work because you're rejecting it. You're actually rejecting the gospel. See, Jesus didn't come merely just so that we could go to heaven when we die, but he came to make us whole, beginning now. And, and when we are unconcerned with our sin, it shows that we really don't want Jesus to make us whole now. It reveals our lack of faith. Now, let me pause for just a moment and, and be clear to all of you, and I need this moment of pause right now, that I don't believe that we're ever so far from God that we can't be forgiven. If we turn from our sins, if we recognize our brokenness, and we repent from that and turn from it, he forgives. But when we keep on sinning and don't care, the warnings are strong and hard for us to ignore. And this is where the preacher goes. He says that, our deliberate sin actually tramples on Jesus. I just don't want you to miss the strong language in verse 29. He, he sets a, this parallel to 
These are, this is what happened to someone who ignored the law of Moses. Now, how much more, how much worse would the punishment do you think would, it would be will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? Now, this word trampled underfoot, and some of your translations may have a different phrase. This, I think, is the best possible choice for this. It is literally like a disdain, a strong meaning. It's a disdain not just for, the, for faith, for religion. It's a disdain for the person of Jesus who came and paid this sacrifice for each of us. It's like we're literally, he, he's saying, literally stepping on his faith, on his face. And to make it worse, it says that it actually renders his blood as meaningless. And if you've been here through this Hebrew series, you know for the preacher there's nothing that is of more value, that is more sacred, more precious, more powerful than the blood of Jesus. You see, his blood is here not just to give us life in the future, it is here to sanctify us now. Do you see that? to set us apart, to make us holy. The goal of the gospel is that we would become like Jesus. And when we view the blood of Jesus as just something that gets us into heaven for some future date, we're actually profaning the blood of the covenant. Dallas Willard, I love his phrase. It's sort of gross, uh, but I love his phrase. He calls this vampire Christians. People who say, I just, I want a little blood of Jesus, but excuse me while I get on with my life, I'll, I'll see you in heaven. I just want just a little bit of your blood, but I'll see you in heaven. And do you see the disrespect in that sort of attitude? And when we keep on deliberately sinning, this is the disdain that we're communicating Could it be that we're becoming comfortable with our sin? There's a third thing here that I think is that this leads to in preacher wants us to know about deliberate sin is that it leads to a life of dread. You see, we, we love our sins, don't we? I mean, well, most of them. Uh, that's why we keep coming back to them. We want something out of them. They make us happy. And yet over time, it doesn't work that way. It actually leads to dread. It, it, it sort of gnaws at us. We know that we're not going to live forever. Do we really think that in our rebellion, when we stand before a holy God, that that rebellion would be ignored? preacher doesn't want us to miss this and to feel the weight of our lifestyle. Look at these strong words, fearful, judgment, a fury of consuming fire, death, punishment, vengeance. And as if that's not enough, in verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God when you are away from the gospel deliberately sinning, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. 
Sure, we, think, we love thinking about a God who's full of mercy and grace. But ask yourself for just a moment, which God do you want? Do you want a God who longs for you to choose the right thing? Do you want a God who hates the cancer of sin that is destroying your life? Do you want a God who loves you and longs for you to be whole and experience life as he intended? Or do you want the sort of trivial version that we often create who doesn't really care what you do and looks the other way? I mean, is that God really worthy of fear and reverence and worship and love? Which God do you want? Now, this passage can cause some questions, and if you've one that are following along with our reading plan for this year and you read this section this week, you're probably thinking, no, wait a minute, what's going on here in this passage? And you start feeling sorry for Gabe because he was going to have to preach about it, uh, not knowing that uh, I was the one. Um, Let me just be clear on one point. I don't believe that, and this has been debated, and there's a lot of question of this, uh, but I personally hold, don't, or I hold to a view that a, a Christian cannot lose their salvation. I don't think that's what's being articulated here. Nor do I believe that the Bible teaches that you can earn your salvation by continually doing good works and not sinning. But Hebrews, and this preacher, I think makes it clear that there are people who are faking it even convinced that they are Christians, but who are far from God and have just become comfortable living in a life of sin. And if you continue in this lifestyle of deliberate sin, it doesn't matter what prayer you think you've prayed, how often you go to church, the God that you think you believe in is no God at all. And he cannot save you. Because the scariest sin is the one that you've become comfortable with. Now, here's some good news. This is not where the preacher finishes. But before we move on, I just want us to take a moment, and I just want to at least ask you just to pause for a moment. And in the last 10 minutes, has God been speaking to you about a deliberate sin or sins that are taking root in your life? That's what I prayed for this week as I prepared. It's what I prayed for this morning as you hear it, that God would convict and do his work in each of our lives. I don't know what's going on in your life. If that something's being spoken to you, it's not from me. Too many times in a message like this, we just quickly move on. And I just want, I don't know if you're comfortable writing it down sticking it someplace in your brain that you're not going to lose it. Is there something that is taking pattern shape in your life that you've becoming comfortable with, a regular pattern of sin, no longer feeling the conviction, the, the yearning for something different? 
Well, at this point in the sermon, I have this hunch that the Hebrew listeners were sort of quiet like you are and about to give up and wondering, I can't do this. I'm a horrible person and there's no way that I can live out this thing, this faith that he's calling us to. So the preacher shifts and he begins to talk to them about a deliberate faith. If you see it in verse 39, we read, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Don't you love that? There's sort of this moment, I can almost feel it in this message. It's like people are wilting. They're wanting to crawl underneath their chairs. But the, and he, it's like he says, but, but that's not us, is it? I mean, we're not like that. We're not one of those. And he gives them three ways that deliberate faith is seen. First, he says that de- deliberate faith embraces the cost. I love this. In verse 32, if you go back up a, a little bit, in verse 32, the preacher says that, remember the former days? Now, if you were to stop there and just not know the story at all, the preacher's trying to make them feel better at this point. You're thinking, okay, let's look back. Remember how it used to be? What would you expect to come? It's like this is the moment where we're going to talk about the good old days, right? Where things used to be really good. But that's not where he goes. Instead, he tells them to remember the cost. Look at verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened... After you came to faith, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partnered with those, with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had better possession and abiding one. I wonder if the congregation at this moment, remember, we have a chance to read it and we know sort of how this flow goes. I wonder if the congregation at this moment, remember those former days? And then he tells them this and they're thinking, oh, great, thanks for bringing that up. You know, we're, we're trying to forget that. You know, what, where are you going with this? He wants them to remember the pain of their faith. You know, most of us will probably never suffer like these first century Christians. But I'm convinced that one of the reasons that I do not fight sin like I should is because I have a general belief that the Christian life should be easy. I mean, I'm not going to deny myself something that I want, right? I'm not going to do something hard for the sake of Christ. We don't count the cost. And I just need to face the fact that if my primary goal in life is to be happy, the pursuit of comfort and ease and satisfaction, my desires, if if that's my primary goal in life, then I will never change. I will never fight sin. I will never know the satisfaction of a life that is so much better than what I think is personal gratification. And I gotta admit to you is... I'm writing this, I'm studying, that this terrifies me. 
because I love to be comfortable. I love to do what's easy. Remember the beach and book? I mean, but contrary to what you hear, many preachers today telling you about the Christian faith, Christians suffer. We deny ourselves. We choose the thing that is not easy, that is not happy. It's what our master did. And he likewise told us to take up our cross, not to sit back and relax. Christians, by definition, are a suffering people who are learning throughout our entire lifetime to deny what we want. And until we get that through our thick, comfort-obsessed heads, we will never deny ourselves and we'll never be able to fight sin. Deliberate faith embraces the cost. Second, and I believe this is the only way that the first one is possible, is that deliberate faith keeps the end in mind. Do you see this at the end of verse 34? He tells them that, that they have suffered, but they've kept living out their faith. And he centers it primarily around one idea. He says that since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession. He said, you knew that you had something better than this deliberate sinning that I was earlier talking about. You knew that you had something better. It was something that had been given to them by the sacrifice of Jesus. And one day, this, the truth that Jesus would one day return. You see, this is the only way that suffering makes sense. It's the only way that self-denial is possible. We've got to believe that there's something better in store. And when we lose sight of this or we begin to think that this life is really all there is or that we've got to struggle and do this on our own, I mean, this leads to pain, right? I mean, we feel this. It's, it's despair, and we often try to hide this pain that we're experiencing with cheap thrills or imitations of something better that has been promised to us. And is any wonder that we often feel this nagging sense of disappointment? But here's the deal. Christians don't obey simply because it's the right thing to do. We obey because it's actually better. We have a better possession. It's a better life. It's better than the alternative. And so let me just ask, do you believe that? Do you believe that we have something better? I mean, we all want to be happy, right? I mean, that's, we desire that sense of satisfaction. But the moment of temptation always comes down to which path you believe will make you the happiest. What sin promises or this better promise that has been made to us through Christ? We will only do battle with sin if we believe that something is, there's something better. Deliberate faith not only counts the cost and keeps the end in mind, it also endures with confidence. As you're reading through Hebrews, if you're going along with us and, and reading through it, 
you, you will see that this word confidence is such an important concept in the book of Hebrews and to this preacher. Do you see it there in verse 35? Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Remember, they're at this low point. He tells them, this is not us, right? He tells them, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. Now, this word for confidence is not just an internal self-assurance. It is a sense of public boldness. And we know that boldness is grounded, based on what we heard last week, it is grounded, the confidence is grounded in the blood of Jesus. Our confidence that we can be saved, our confidence that we can fight or kill sin in our lives, it has little to do, nothing to do with ourselves. We cannot do it by ourselves. But he can. The one who was tempted like us, but lived a sinless life. The one who now knows what you're being tempted with and can sympathize with everything you're feeling, with every weakness that you're encountering. He's the heir of all things, the creator, the great high priest, the one who upholds the universe by his power. The one who understands and came and died for these sins of ours and rose again so that it wouldn't be the last whole word in our life. We can have confidence, not because we are able, but because of the one who came to rescue. Now, as we come to the end, I don't want us to simply get this good part at the end and erase out what was this strong charge at the beginning of deliberate sin. And so I want us to pray, and then I've asked Gabe to come and lead us in a time of confession. May God speak and work in each of your lives. May we have confidence and boldness. The blood of Jesus offers the path of forgiveness. And may we stop sinning as we've been instructed. Let's pray together. Lord, speak to us. May we hear from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.